there's danger out there. Every notification, swipe, social post, video, or selfie while driving risks your life. So while sharks might be scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's The Argument. I'm Jane Poston. And this is the final episode of The Argument, my friends. We did it. We settled every argument. In my nearly two years hosting the show, I've changed my mind about so many things. From court packing to police reform, but I still don't think we should talk to aliens. You will never get me on that. One of the greatest joys of making the show every week is hearing from you. You've helped me reframe how I think about the biggest debates of our time. And when I told you I was struggling with changing my political party, I learned I wasn't alone. This year, actually, I changed my political party registration. It broke my heart, but I changed my affiliation to unaffiliated. I left the Democratic Party earlier this year. I have been a registered Republican all my life, and I've changed recently to an independent. But I felt like my party just left me 20 years ago. After 2016, I made the switch. I wanted to fight for the welfare of everyone in the country. I became disenchanted with the party over the Iraq war. I don't like the woke culture. I started being confronted with all this evidence about things like climate change. Obamacare changed my perception a lot. At some point, the party became openly hostile to my faith. In reality, I mean, it's hard to flip-flop between any party because they don't represent the real voter. See, Kirsten Cinema, you aren't the only bisexual renegade out here. And then there was Mike, who called from D.C. So I eventually moved my party affiliation to Libertarian, but now I open up my Twitter feed and the Libertarian Party has gone completely off the rails. So now I find myself pretty much a political homeless person looking for a place to call my home. Mike, buddy, this episode's for us. I was a registered libertarian because I disagreed with how the two major parties viewed state power. As in, I was very, 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 very unhappy about policing and the justice system. Still am. But then the Libertarian Party, which was already fringe in the way third parties usually are, got taken over by a caucus whose members seem more into tweeting about repealing the Civil Rights Act or making anti-Semitic memes than, you know, doing anything. So I left. I hit the bricks. I re-registered as an independent. And I won't lie, I'm kind of mad about it. So today on The Argument, what happens when your party leaves you behind? To figure that out, there was one person I wanted to talk to, former Congressman Justin Amash of Michigan. He was one of the first and few Republicans in Congress to call for Trump's impeachment. Soon after that, Amash switched his party affiliation to independent and eventually libertarian, making him the first ever Libertarian Party member in Congress. But now he's out of office and still trying to grow the Libertarian Party. And as you're about to hear, we really disagree about how a small political party or any political party should amass power. Representative Amash, welcome to the argument. Hey, Jane. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I actually, I own that exact same shirt because of course I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Go blue. Um, Go blue. It's a a lifestyle. 
We should start out with that you became a Libertarian Party member and the first one ever to sit in Congress in 2020. I want to talk about your journey out of the Republican Party. How did you come to libertarianism? I feel like I was a libertarian from a young age, philosophically. Like I identified as a Republican in terms of party membership for most of my life. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I was very strongly against arbitrary authority. See, that that's the thing. I feel like being a libertarian, having a libertarian mindset is very natural mm-hmm. because no one likes being told what to do. People like telling other people what to do, but inherently <laughs> a ideology that is about don't tell me what to do. I think it makes a lot of sense in some ways. Yeah, I think so, too. It It was very natural to me as a kid to say, like, hey, you shouldn't make up rules on the fly. I used to stand up for my classmates when I thought teachers were acting in an arbitrary manner. And that got me into some trouble as a kid, even. Some of it, I think, has to do with my parents coming here as immigrants. My dad is Palestinian. My mom is Syrian. So they came from places where there is a lot of authoritarianism. And what I learned from them as a kid was that in America, we didn't have those same kinds of problems. Not to that degree, at least. Not even close. Relative to other places on Earth, people in the United States can succeed without all of these connections to government and special handouts and special favors. And so for me, that was sort of a libertarian ethos. And when I joined politics, I thought I could move the Republican Party in a more libertarian direction. And I tried so many different ways to do that. I tried by working nicely with some of the people in the establishment. I started the House Freedom Caucus, but ultimately I failed to change things. And that was very difficult for me to just say, hey, I'm giving up on this and I need to try something different. What was the moment when you realized that the Republican Party wasn't going to be welcoming libertarian ideas? When did you get the idea like this isn't going to work? Well, pretty early on, I realized that it was very different from serving in the State House of Representatives in Michigan. In the State House, Democrats were in charge, and I was able to get legislation onto the floor, amendments passed. It was relatively easy to work with people and to get libertarian ideas across the finish line. When I got to Congress, I realized pretty quickly that it was going to be a huge uphill battle because things were so centralized. So much power was concentrated in the Speaker of the House and the leaders of the parties. Early on, I tried to work with Speaker Boehner. I tried to be respectful and kind and all that, and that really didn't work. I mean, it just, he, he ended up closing the place down, not to the same extent that we saw under Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi, but he ended up closing the place down more and more as time went on. So now you're a part of the Libertarian Party, which gets me to a a kind of existential question. What should the goal of a third party be? The goal of any party should be to organize like-minded people to win elections. They don't serve any major purpose other than that. I'm not for winning by any means necessary. Like you just 
take anyone who's going to be in your party and that's that like i'll take everyone every person under the sun if you want to be in my party come let's just win it's not winning for the sake of winning i want libertarians to win so for me the libertarian party is about organizing libertarians to win elections right now we're not in a position to win we we have a lot of growing to do so let's get real i still identify with libertarian philosophies and i want to separate that because being a libertarian and being a member of the Libertarian Party are two different things to me. I became a member of the Libertarian Party and started identifying more as a libertarian because I am distrustful of state power and I really like liberty. I wanted to be a part of a party that reflected an emphasis on liberty and on efforts to limit state power, even though I was pretty sure that like we were probably not going to see a libertarian president in my lifetime. But in the past year, I have had this experience that I've heard many other people say happened to them within the Republican Party over the last few years, which is that I watched the Libertarian Party get hijacked by, to me, some of the worst people in the history of time. So for listeners who may not be caught up on the Libertarian Party, a group called the Mises Caucus swept every leadership seat in the party, and a member of that caucus, Angela McArdle, became chair of the National Committee. The Mises Caucus says they want to make the Libertarian Party libertarian again, and they really want to court people who were attracted to Trump. But on the Internet and elsewhere, that seems like an excuse just to become the most insane and extreme version of themselves. What do you make of the Mises caucus? There are elements within that caucus that are just trying to say the most extreme, outrageous things. They view it as a tactic to further their strategy, which is to serve as an activist organization. They see the Libertarian Party as a place where you can do activism, where you can try to influence culture. And it's not so much about winning elections, certainly not at the national level, at least, as it is about influencing people on a more cultural basis and maybe having small local victories but I would also say that most members of the caucus are not extreme, are not irrational, are not crazy, are not nationalists. I engage with these people at various conventions. And so I'm able to talk with them about what they think. And I think you are being so nice to them. You I are think so there nice is to them. a I think there's a disconnect between what you sometimes see on social media and what the rank and file member of the Mises Caucus thinks. A lot of people join the Mises Caucus because the Libertarian Party seemed like it was, you know, slow rolling everything. But I, I want to know, here's my question. Yeah. So in 2016, Gary Johnson is the Libertarian Party nominee for president. He is the most successful ever presidential candidate from the Libertarian Party. I interviewed him twice. He was very libertarian, but he also, I think, performed a type of moderation. So what changed between 2016 and 2022? I think there's a sense within the party that that wasn't a lasting change. So Gary Johnson did win, like relative to other libertarians. He didn't, yes, he didn't win yes. any elections, but right. <laughs> relative to other libertarians who have run at the national level, he was quite successful and won the most votes of any libertarian running for president. But a lot of people feel like that was just a short-lived moment. 
In other words, Gary Johnson came in, he did his thing, and then that all sort of fizzled. So I think people just want excitement. What they wanted is the Ron Paul revolution. Mm-hmm. Ron Paul, I, I think, would probably be the most well-known libertarian or libertarian figure. Yeah, He ran for the presidency as a Libertarian Party nominee in 1988. He later ran twice for the Republican nomination. Mm-hmm. And so they want to bring that back. That's how they view it. Where Ron Paul was on the stage and he was making an impact. Now, where I think they get this wrong is that Ron Paul was running in a Republican primary. He wasn't running as a Libertarian Party presidential candidate. And if he were running as a Libertarian Party presidential candidate, he wouldn't have had the same energy and excitement and all that. It's because he was working within the primary process, which is fine. Some libertarians think that working within the Republican Party is the right thing to do. I do ultimately think it's a dead end. I I think you can get about as far as Ron Paul and no further. There are people who want to turn the Libertarian Party into essentially an extension of this Ron Paul movement. I don't think it really works because you have to have the right candidate to do that and you have to have the right environment. Ron Paul was working at a time where there were lots of wars going on. His message could resonate. The wars were highly unpopular. So he had the ability to go out there and say, look, I am different. I'm speaking truth to power. And that helped propel him pretty far, but not far enough, obviously, to be successful in the Republican primary. But I don't I I mean, I think that this is our division here because you're talking about Ron Paul and his opposition to war. I remember when he came to Michigan's campus, there was a lot of talk about decriminalizing marijuana, which in Ann Arbor, great selling point. But I remember the Ron Paul newsletters, the Ron Paul newsletters that talked about how Martin Luther King was a lying socialist satyr and that 95 percent of the black males in D.C. were criminals. And I think that the Mises caucus looks to him as their political role model. And I keep thinking about how, like, the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire, which just is like tweeting out genocide denial and talking about how they don't care about what's happening to the Uyghurs because it's probably made up anyway. And like, I know that the Libertarian Party has always been this weird coalition of like people who are opposed to the war in Iraq and people who are insane. When we're talking about how people want to feel excitement again, something that was akin to Ron Paul, the people want a political alternative. It feels like to me what many people within the party are hearing is, hell yeah, you know, let's come off as the most selfish freaks alive. And it's very, I mean, it's alienating to me. Yeah. And Jane, you know that I believe in a big tent libertarian party. So yes, I'm just presenting you the alternative perspective so that you and others can hear what the perspective is. And yes, but my perspective is that's bad. Well, in fairness, the Ron Paul that was popular was not the Ron Paul of Ron Paul newsletters. This is where I think some in the Mises caucus get it wrong, that actually the popular Ron Paul was the Ron Paul who had a more moderating message. And the unpopular Ron Paul was when it was alleged that he had some edgelording past where, you know, he's been involved in stuff that is, um, you know, nationalistic or racist. So I, this is what I don't understand about the Mises approach is that they are often pushing the parts of the Ron Paul movement that were not successful, not popular. 
I think that this goes to a divide within libertarian thinking that is not often noticed, which is that there are libertarians who emphasize very strongly this. It's this idea that people should be free to form their own groups and exclude others. And then there's other libertarians who are more influenced, ironically, by von Mises. Mm -hmm. The Mises caucus is named after von Mises, but actually von Mises is more of a classical liberal. And within that part of the Libertarian Party, the emphasis is on expanding the scope of human cooperation. It is finding new ways to work with others and expand social cooperation because all progress is the result of social cooperation. This is a big divide. Right. But it seems like the Libertarian Party, you want it to be a big tent. But the Libertarian Party, by the nature of being a third party, is actually physically a smaller tent. And right now, the tent is being taken over by the edge lordy assholes who tweet about how nobody should care about China and that women shouldn't vote and that any teachers who introduce quote unquote queer theory should be prosecuted by the state. Like, why has this happened? Why has the extremist edge lordy portion, the people who do not want human cooperation, why have they gotten to take up all of the tent and left me and I think a bunch of other people, because I've had conversations when I was in Texas with folks from the Texas Libertarian Party, with they, there are people who feel like they're being pushed out. What happened? There's been a big influence from the right in recent years. And this is another part of the divide where there are people within the Libertarian Party now who emphatically want to make it a segment of the right. And they want to exclude people from the left. Now, in fairness, I think that in the previous iteration of the Libertarian Party, there were a lot of people on the left who wanted to exclude people from the right. But people on the right, they've really de-emphasized the idea that we don't want state interventionism in things. And increasingly, they're saying, yeah, it's not so bad to have the state step in here to stop the left from imposing its cultural values on everyone. Which does that, but that doesn't sound like being a libertarian at all. I look, I agree with you that that doesn't sound like being a libertarian, but I'm telling you from my own experience within libertarian circles, increasingly you have this emphasis on, look, we just have to use the levers that other people are using. Pretending that there's a free market that exists is naive and therefore we need to play the same game that the others are playing. Now, I don't think this is as big an issue in the libertarian right as it is within, say, the Republican Party right. But it is starting to trickle in and I think it is impacting the way libertarians think about things. Listening to your voicemails about changing parties, one thing many of you told me is neither party speaks to you. But a lot of you named one particular person as inspiring your change of party. Honestly, the nail in the coffin was the emergence of Donald Trump. I told everyone I knew that there was no possible way that the Republican primary voters would be so ignorant as to nominate Donald Trump. And they did. And I switched because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump. 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 Donald Trump. 
I just can't see where I would go back to the Republican Party right now. Yeah, Donald Trump did a whole number on a lot of us. And after the break, we talk about whether Trump changed how Representative Amash thinks about libertarians and third parties. Over the last 25 years, the world has witnessed incredible progress, from dial-up modems to 5G connectivity, from massive PC towers to AI-enabled microchips. Innovators are rethinking possibilities every day. Through it all, Invesco's QQQ ETF has provided investors access to the world of innovation. Be a part of the next 25 years of new ideas by supporting the fund that gives you access to innovative companies. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs' risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in perspectives at Invesco.com. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. And the very first place that you can get the newest episodes of our podcast, it's a full day and a half before they appear anywhere else online, is the New York Times audio app. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories for when you want something, you know, short. That's only at the New York Times audio app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. So... You mentioned earlier that you helped to launch the House Freedom Caucus when you were a Republican. But then the House Freedom Caucus, well, they kicked you out. Does this feel familiar at all? Because this is, I mean, I was thinking to myself, like, is this what it felt like for you when you see everyone around you go insane and you're like, wait, what happened? (laughs) Well, first, the Freedom Caucus didn't kick me out. I did resign from the Freedom Caucus. Okay. Now, they did have a stern talking with me about oh you god know, i can't even imagine what a stern talking to from the house <laughs> yeah, Freedom like, Caucus. they called me in and they said you know you're you're like betraying us essentially and they compared it to a marital relationship where you know i should have just kept my mouth shut about certain things it, it was an awkward moment and i said okay i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm gonna step away from this now like this isn't the freedom caucus that i started um, they wanted to describe it as a marriage. I guess we just, you know, we separated and we we left each other at that point. So what really happened is the House Freedom Caucus over time forgot why it was formed. It was formed to open up the House of Representatives and to push back on centralized power. And instead, over time, it became a place to applaud centralized power, to support centralized power. Every day it was about cheerleading Donald Trump, who had really concentrated power within the party, but also within the country in the executive office. It sounds kind of familiar. It sounds very familiar to me. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. they lost sight of who they were. And Mm -hmm. I would say the Libertarian Party is not at that point. If you ask me which one I feel more comfortable in, I still feel more comfortable within the Libertarian Party. And that's because I run into Libertarians who... I don't have to persuade about a whole bunch of points. I think when I go to the conventions, I feel like these are people to the extent we disagree on things. Most of them disagree on strategy to the extent they disagree. And it's not so much on policy. 
And a lot of what you see, a lot of the edgelording that you see out there is a strategy-based issue where they think strategically this is the way to get ahead. And I just disagree with them. I mean, this sounds to me kind of like what happened with some swath of the Republican Party. You kind of get this contrarian online poisoning where being really loud on the Internet and getting retweeted a bunch, you see that as winning. But I want to zoom out for a second because... Over the last four years, this podcast has been airing. We've had so many conversations just like this one, but largely about the Republican Party. And you talked about how you saw in the House Freedom Caucus that this was something that was started to stand against encroaching state power, executive power. And then the second everyone got an executive they liked, everybody started going hooray for state power. And that, you know, this is, to me, something that's happening in the Libertarian Party. Is this just a pattern in our politics? Can we never have good things? (laughs) I'm not sure. I mean, there's no time in history where it's going to be perfect. You're always going to have pushback on anything you do. And there's certainly always going to be pushback against liberty. People like centralized power. It makes them feel comfortable. They like to break into groups and to say, my group is at the top and your group's at the bottom. People like to do that. We're just at another point in history where that's happening, but it's not new. I mean, you had that also in the Bush years. You've had it under many Democratic uh, administrations as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at the Biden administration. So much is centralized. So much is run off of emergency powers and emergency declarations. And we're just going to do whatever. I don't think that the Biden administration is going to stand athwart state power. That's not really like I expect that from the Biden administration. They are going to use state power to do what they want to do. They're going to use executive powers for the same reason. You know, if Democrats embrace state power, well, that's kind of what Democrats historically have done. That's kind of part of the deal. Like the New Deal, if anything, was an embrace of state power. The Libertarian Party doing so to me is more of a like heel turn in pro wrestling terms. Yeah. And this is why I was very critical of Donald Trump. And I was very critical of Republicans when they didn't follow their principles. Whereas with the Democrats, I've been critical over the years, but you kind of expect it. Like I wasn't expecting the Democratic Party to run on limited government, economic freedom and individual liberty. Those weren't the things I was thinking of, whereas the Republicans claim to be doing those things and just weren't. So I agree with you, but within the Libertarian Party, I do believe that most people are actually more moderate, more reasonable than what you see publicly. It's this, it's the same problem that is getting them into trouble, where they are some in the leadership of the Libertarian Party and some of the state party accounts are looking at what's going on online and saying, okay, look at how many retweets we're getting. Look at how many likes we're getting by saying all of these wild things. Similarly, a lot of people on the outside who aren't in the mix here are looking at the Libertarian Party and saying like, oh, it's all a bunch of edgelords because that's what they're seeing online. But actually, the Libertarian Party is made up of a lot of non-edgelordy people I think that there is a misperception that's created. I I know that there's a misperception, but it in some part is driven by the Libertarian Party itself saying things that are insane. So but you, you are a part of the Libertarian Party. You are a proud libertarian. Walk me back in. Are there norms or guardrails that could 
bring the normal people to the fore in the Libertarian Party? Should I come back? Walk me back in, Justin. (laughs) So I think that you have to allow what's going on to play out to some extent. When the Mises Caucus took over every part of the Libertarian Party, from my perspective, that's what people who came to the conventions voted for. That's the party they want. And I think you should let them have that party and let them try it. It may work. It may not work. I think it's not going to work the way that many in Libertarian Party leadership think it will work. And that's okay. Let it be tried. Let people see what it is. And then I think there will be some moderation that happens. Even within the Libertarian Party now, it's not all harmony between people within the Mises Caucus. There are people who disagree strongly with each other. And that will eventually lead to some divergence within the group and other people will will slowly walk back in, I think. But it's also a place that is welcoming to my ideas. There are people in leadership who certainly disagree with me at times about some things and very strongly disagree with me about certain things, but they are still promoting some of the things that I'm presenting. What are those ideas that you're presenting to them? Oh, I mean, if you look at, I put out a post about the Respect for Marriage Act the other day that was positive. It briefly was promoted by the Libertarian Party before it was taken down. Yeah. But it does show that there is some tension, right? It's not that it wasn't posted at all. Now, it was taken down, and I think that was a mistake because they probably got pushback from somewhere within the party. I bet they did. However, it shows that there's some tension, and that tension is a positive thing. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it feels as if... How how is it not a good thing that there's some tension? Like, like it's better to have them post it and remove it than to... (laughs) To never post it at all. To never post it at all. Now, on the other hand, they remove that much faster than they've removed some other things. Yeah. I remember one thing that uh, had... And they claim they didn't know this, an anti-Semitic yeah. depiction. Oh, I, I, there was a, um, the Libertarian Party account uh, tweeted an anti-Semitic image relating to uh, the war in Ukraine. Angela McArdle denied knowing that the image would be read as anti-Semitic, which seems questionable to me. But like... In fairness, <laughs> they did remove it. They did remove it. But it, I think it took longer to remove that than to remove my post You are not in making favor, me feel very better about Than to remove my post in favor of the Respect for Marriage Act. Jane, at the end of the day, (laughs) I want to build a big libertarian party. Yes. And if you want to build a big libertarian party, there will be people within the party, just like in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, that you don't agree with, I don't agree with, who say things that are sometimes, you know, horrible and where we'll have to criticize them and say, like, this has no place in the libertarian party, but they're still going to be there. And what I want to make sure that I do is not alienate every single person who is not a racist, not a bigot, not anti-Semitic, not falling for some of these dog whistles, not going for any of it. I want to make sure that those people who still feel like they want someone out there pushing hard for them to feel like they have a place. You do want to like obviously exclude people who are doing things that are openly racist and bigoted and awful. But you don't want to exclude the entirety of the Libertarian Party who might feel connected to these people, even though they disagree with them on those issues. 
I would be cool with disconnecting from those people because they seem like garbage cans. But well, take, l- take l- the, l- I think that means but can I the push challenge back one here. Thing? Can I push back one? Yes, take the absolutely. Republican Party. There are lots of people who support Donald Trump. Do you think the Republican Party should disband simply because like all these people who support Donald Trump, they might not agree with any of his, you know, craziest ideas, but they like Donald Trump for one reason or another. Should you alienate all of them? But it does feel as if, like, in order to have a big tent libertarian party, I would need to be present in the tent alongside people who think that my marriage should be invalid or people who embrace the type of edge lordy, vaguely ironic racism that doesn't feel very ironic. I mean, is this part of the challenge about having a smaller party that you're kind of like, you can't say you have to get out because you need as many people as possible if you're going to actually do stuff. Yeah, but to be clear, and you know this, I don't condone any of the stuff. No, I, I, I don't know condone you don't. racism. I know you don't. I don't condone racism or don't. anti-Semitism or any of this. I know you do And I criticize and strongly oppose it. I know you do. But the, the approach should be to take the, the ideas where we agree, emphasize those ideas, but not try to dismiss everyone within the Libertarian Party. Just like... I think within the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, you're going to be involved in a party with lots of people you disagree with and lots of unsavory people. Yeah, but one of the challenges of politics is that the parties that are out of power tend to become more extreme as they continue to lose power. And my concern here is that the Libertarian Party, as it attempts to gain power still has all of the attributes of a party that does not expect to ever hold power. How can how can you? How could me if I ever if I decided to go back in? How could I make the Libertarian Party take itself seriously enough to recognize that most people don't like edgelording? Well, first of all, because the party is so small, the most important thing people can do who don't like that but consider themselves libertarian is to join the libertarian party and go to (laughs) conventions because the reality is we got to this point precisely because there weren't enough libertarians active in politics. If you show up at a state convention and just bring 50 or 100 people with you, if you do that, you can almost take over any party, any libertarian party within the country. If you want to have your opinions heard, you've got to go to the party conventions and be involved. And that's what the Mises Caucus people did. They got involved, they got organized, they went to the party conventions, and they won. And if you bring your excited young people to the conventions, you can also be engaged. That is a very hard sell. I am trying to imagine, like, okay, 50 people. Now we're going to not pay any attention to the insane things that this party is saying, but we are going to come in and we're going to take over with my cool dad, normalcy libertarian platform. It just feels as if like, you know, they assembled more numbers and they scored more touchdowns and now they get to be in charge of this political party. And I, a normal person who favors liberty and a decrease of state power, lose is that why libertarian? it feels like the Libertarian Party doesn't really know what it believes anymore, that it just has become this weird, like, team sport? Well, there's a lot of tribalism that has seeped into the Libertarian Party, and I think that it is like a microcosm of what's going on nationally, where there is less of an ideological connection and more of 
a cultural distinction. Like those people are just different from us. And, you know, we're not one of them. It is hard to get people back to the way of thinking in a more ideological way. And, and by the way, for those who don't see this distinction, I think ideology and partisanship are really at odds. How so? Like, I want ideological people. I think it would be better and healthier for everyone if Americans were more ideological, if they were more about the philosophies and policies and less about raw partisanship, which is just the other side is different from us and they're bad. But increasingly, everyone on the right and the left, and this is true within the Libertarian Party as well, thinks that we're basically approaching some kind of end times battle between good and evil, and they just disagree about who's good and who's evil. And libertarians are not immune from that. But you still have hope for the Libertarian Party. Why is that? Well, I have, I have hope for humanity. Let's put it that way. I have the same amount of hope for the Libertarian Party that I have for things generally, in, in that at the end of the day, I believe human beings can be persuaded. I believe that things are better today than they were in the past. Look, I'm optimistic in that sense. And I'm hopeful that the Libertarian Party can be a party that brings people together who care about human liberty, who care about the things that make life good. And I don't know, I'm going to stay positive about it. And hopefully I can convince you over time, but <laughs> not not today, not today, because I, I believe in you. But I don't know if I believe in the Libertarian Party right now. But thank you so much, Representative Justin Amash. You have given me a lot to think about. Thanks, Jade. Justin Amash represented Michigan's 3rd Congressional District from 2011 to 2021. I recommend you read the work of Elizabeth Nolan Brown over at Reason.com, a feminist libertarian who thinks about a lot of the things Representative Amash and I discussed today. And finally, thank you. Whether you started the show with me or have been listening since the Michelle Ross David days, it's been a real honor to share these conversations every week with you. In this episode, you probably heard how weird I'm feeling about U.S. politics. And it's meant so much to me to hear your own grappling with this weird political, cultural era that we're all living through. I loved all of the arguments you shared with me, even when you were arguing with me. And felt like every Wednesday we came a little bit closer to understanding how on earth other people think the way that they do. This team put our all into bringing you the toughest conversations that define the way we live and govern and think right now. And I'm grateful you came along with us. So remember, there's always something to learn, even from the people you disagree with the most. And leave the debate team energy out. It's boring, and you're better than that. Thank you for being a part of this. It's been the highlight of my career to do this show. We will miss you. And always, go blue. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Love the show. Love the show. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Argument is a production of New York Times Opinion. 
It's produced by the single greatest team to ever do it. Phoebe Lett, Bashaka Durba, and Derek Arthur. Edited by Alison Brzeck and Amber Von Chassen. With original music by Isaac Jones and Pat McCusker. Mixing by Pat McCusker. Fact-checking by the single greatest fact-checking team in the history of time. Please don't fact-check that. Kate Sinclair, Michelle Harris, and Mary Marge Locker. Audience strategy by Shannon Busta, with editorial support from Christina Samuelski. Clover gives you the power to run a smarter, faster restaurant. See everything in real time with the kitchen display system. Streamline takeout and delivery with online ordering. With the right tech, quick service is getting even quicker. Clover, accept payments, run your business, and sell more. For a limited time only, visit Clover.com to get a $450 statement credit on qualified hardware purchases. That's www.clover.com.